Good morning. Today's scripture is taken from Psalms 39, verse 1 to 13, a prayer for wisdom and forgiveness. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was silent and still. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, let me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how, my fle how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in, for nothing they are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. You chastise mortals in punishment for sin, consuming like a moth what is dear to them. Surely everyone is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am your passing guest, an alien like all my forebears. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and I am no more. Psalm 39. <clears throat> well, before I went away, uh, we did one psalm. <clears throat> I believe we looked at Psalm 90. And we're calling this short series <clears throat> um, Wintry Psalms, Psalms of the Winter Season. And so, the Psalter is divided into a variety of psalms, and one way of looking at that is that it looks at the four seasons. And we travel through, if you like, the different seasons of the heart. So there are seasons of winter when we feel a certain coldness, when we feel distant from God, when we feel even perhaps that God is absent. We, need, we know theologically he's not, but in our feelings, we can be in that spot. And that's where I suggest that this psalmist is, the winter season. Laments, <clears throat> they're also called psalms of disorientation, when world seems disoriented. But of course, that follows, we have the spring season soon will be, well, not soon, I guess, but it's coming up. Flowers start coming out. Things look a little sunnier, a little brighter. Spring season of the heart. Then the summer season. Maximum joy and abundance. And then the fall. And 
remember the jazz song, Autumn Leaves. And the writer says, I miss you most of all in the autumn when the leaves start falling. And in our spiritual sense, the autumn can be a mixture of joy and also a mixture of sadness. I think it's coming towards the end of our lives. So there are the spiritual seasons. And so this little short series running up to Advent is about the wintry seasons of faith. So when we read this, it sounds, you know, not the happiest, right? Well, that's because the psalmist is not that happy at the moment. And he's letting us know. The psalms are very honest. They don't try to sugarcoat things. So the seasons of the heart, the winter season, a melancholy. So we're in the winter here, so maybe there's a certain appropriateness for this text. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. <clears throat> I will keep a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was silent and still. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. So as I said, I've done a number of 10-day retreats and they're typically done in silence. And uh, the Benedictine model uses these very verses to maintain a sense of silence through the whole time. Guard your words, right? <clears throat> so the psalmist begins with a protest, I would suggest. It's a pent-up protest. Begins in silence. If you look down farther, he's aware of his own transgressions, verse 8. He knows that he has sinned. He knows that he is messed up at various times. And he's also sick. And in the ancient days, you know, things were rather simplistic, but in, if one was sick, they associated that with God not being happy with you. And so his sickness, here he calls God's blows. So, you know, we know that that's not the case, particularly today, but that's how they viewed the world. If you're sick, it's because God's not happy. If you are prospering, it's because God thinks you're great. So it's simple like that. But here is the psalmist. He's aware of his sin. He's not feeling well. In fact, it seems like he's towards the end of his life and he has this conversation with God. And there's a protest to it all in that winter season. And so, you know, we're not always in the spring season. We're not always in the summer season. We're not always feeling that God is great and everything is just wonderful. No matter who tells you what. You may go to a church and just say, happy, 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 happy all the time. Well, the reality is, is we're not all happy at the time. <sighs> Things can be messed up. Like, you know, you can be sick. I can be sick. We can, we can sin. So we can be in that reality. So I'm not sure where that is for you today. If you were going to pick one of the seasons, where would you be today? Winter, spring, summer, fall, interiorly. So there's the outer seasons and there's the inner seasons. And we pass through these seasons. And so the psalmist is here. You may be there or not this morning, but that's where the psalmist begins. A pent-up protest. He goes on, Lord, let me know my end 
and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. So he goes from the protest to this reflection on how brief life really is. Middle line there, the brevity of life. And then not only with the brevity of life, with that, the the foolishness of thinking that everything is okay if you have a lot of stuff, a lot of money, and a lot of things. There's allusions to that, we'll see. So there's the brevity of life and also the insecurities, let's say, of having lots and trusting in that. The brevity. If you go back, you see the line, um, you have made my days a few hand breaths. Well, hand breaths was actually a measure, a measurement. It was a small measurement, and it was four fingers. So you have made my life, my whole life, like the distance of four fingers, a hand breath. Gone. Beth and I just finished watching Oppenheimer last night. <clears throat> Three-hour movie. Wow. Get your goodies and popcorn and everything ready before you watch that one. <laughs> and it's a little bit depressing because it's a, it's a story of the, you know, of the, all the science that goes into the creating of the atomic bomb. True story. During the Second World War, Oppenheimer was the physicist, the American who worked towards leading that project. But as they present that film, they, they see him. I mean, obviously, he was very, very bright, and he viewed the world in a, in a way that really broke through on, on a very small level, the physical level, the chemical level, cellular level. He got it, atomic level. And so they, a lot of, they, they showed a lot of shots of, of, of space, really, just kind of that kind of massiveness. You know, if we go 100 miles north, right, of where we are right now, we're in space. And once you get into space, it's all just essentially black without light. That's what's there. William Shatner, right, from Star Trek, actually went up in a spaceship not too long ago, and he came back and he was horrified. He was so afraid. Fell down, he was crying because of how scary it is to just see the vastness of the universe. And here we are, four fingers, a hand breath. Anyway, it struck me as, wow. Here we live on this little globe, but the God is, our God is the God of the universe who's made it all. And so he really has a sense of the brevity of life. No matter how long we live, it's like a passing mist. And when we you know, think in terms of the size and the distance of everything, geological time, that's our reality. Very, very small. And so in that, to trust in lots of money we might have in the bank or something, it doesn't really matter. It's there and it's gone. That's just the reality. Might matter in the moment a little bit, but it's, it's gone. And so the psalmist recognizes that. 
James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's life. It's not meant to be depressing here. Just real. That's our life. A mist, James says. And then when it comes to the money and so on, he says, your gold and silver have rusted and the rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. He was pretty strong when it came to only living for yourself and forgetting everybody else. So the fleeting nature of life. So that's the second piece. Protest. And then an awareness that life is fleeting in the middle of all this incredible space. One little planet around one little star. And there are billions of stars and billions of planets. Wow. Thirdly, Good news. And now, O oh Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. He doesn't want people to start laughing at him. And he doesn't want people laughing at him and then God's name being defaced. And of course, that's always the chance that happens, right, if we screw up. It's not just about us, it's about what happens for God's reputation if we are known as believers. He's aware of that. So there's a certain discipline here, and the good thing is, is my hope is in you. To lift up our eyes bigger, so as someone wrote, we believe in a personal God and not an impersonal force. Just put it that way. God is the creator of the universe who's interested in you and me. He's not just Star Trek force, the force. God is our personal God. So my hope is in you. That's where the psalmist goes. Jesus says, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Keep in mind what really is matters. And of course, that's easier to say than to do. We very easily get sidetracked and go after secondary things. And we forget that the kingdom of God is what it's really all about. Which absolutely makes sense if we believe in God as our creator and our savior. If there is a creator God who wants a relationship with you, then that is what should be centered. If we are creature and he is creator, that's the only thing that makes sense. Just to do our own thing, I mean, like it's just foolishness. But of course, we have to believe the initial premise. It ends, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears. I like this line, for I am your passing guest, an alien like all my forebears. I was popping through the Psalms about a year ago, and I caught that line, I am your passing guest. And that line just stuck with me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do some writing on that line. I am your passing guest. We are all passing guests. We have our life. The earth is the Lord, Psalm 24 says, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. He founded it upon the seas. We are here as his passing guests 
in our little whiff mist of time. An alien like all my forebears. So both of those words, passing guest and alien, if you look in your various translations, they'll be translated in a variety of ways. They both capture the idea that we are sojourners. That word picks up in the New Testament. We are sojourners. We are passing guests. That there is a home that's greater than this home. Whatever God might do to the earth eventually, right? He may renovate the whole earth and it's just the new garden. We don't know. But we are passing guests here and now. We are sojourners. And the invitation is to keep our eyes on God through all of our lives, through the good times, through the hard times. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Rob and I were supposed to go diving, ended up that Rob wasn't able to go. But he sent me a text and he said, because that night, when the first night I got down there, I'm living on a boat, it was just a, a, a thumbnail of God. That's what the First Nations call it. Just the very first part of the moon. And he said, well, hey, Alan, I'm looking at the same moon that you're looking at right now. You're seeing it down there, Cuba. I'm seeing it here. We are passing guests together, no matter where you are on planet Earth. And so the writer makes that statement, and I love it, and I think there's a lot in it there, if we will spend a bit of time reflecting on it. Sojourners together. You can look at the language in First Peter and also the book of Hebrews. We'll talk about us as sojourners. So, he ends with a writer, saying he, because it probably was a, a psalm of David connected with him. And there's a, there's a statement here in verse 12, the Jewish understanding of calling out to God, okay? This was, a, this was a Hebrew way, a Jewish way of looking at prayer. And it's in three levels. And the first is prayer, you pray, and it's silent. Your silent prayer, that's where it begins in verse 1 and 2. And then it moves to loud voice, loud crying out, God, where are you? Crying out. And then thirdly, it goes to tears. And in the Jewish tradition, it's the tears that will penetrate the heart of God. That's how they understand it. I'm not saying this is how we have to pray all the time, but that's their understanding. Silence, loud voice, tears. And with that, they had a sense that God would hear them. So there may be something in that for us that we need to be aware of. You may be one who cries easily. You may be one who has a hard time at it. The psalmist is suggesting that there's value in our tears. We are passing guests. We are sojourners. King David ends his life, and he has a statement in First Chronicles that reads this way. It's almost the very same as this psalm. For we are aliens and transients before you, as were all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, 
and there is no hope. Now it ends with hope if you carry on and read. But it's the same thing. He had an awareness that we are passing guests. So having heard all that, all right, where do we go with that? So one, three pieces I'd suggest, it does remind us about the brevity of our lives. So if nothing else, get in and enjoy your days because they are short. Every day should count. Let's go for it. The brevity of life is a gift. Don't sit around and moan. Go for it, man. Whatever it is, that's the encouragement. We are passing guests on God's globe, so let's get in. Enjoy it. Secondly, God is to be our compass. He is to be the one. That's, my hope is in you. My hope is in you. To have at that faith, that, that's a gift. Faith is a gift. I don't know. I don't know how it really works that other than it's a gift. That some people have faith and other people have no faith. Now, it doesn't mean faith has to be manifested in one way. One could be an atheist and maybe have more faith than a lot of people. Depends on what all the language is doing. But nevertheless, our faith, that sense of somehow recognizing something more, very, very important for us. And, and it's not so common as we think. Jesus says at one point, will there be any faith, man, when I return? Will there be any faith on the earth? What is the future? He seemed to think that it wasn't so abundant. Faith, trust, in the middle of all the crap that goes on, right? Living in Gaza right now would be hard to have faith, don't you think? Bombs are falling everywhere. That's tricky, man. I don't know where I'd be. Maybe you would... I may be gone at any moment. I have faith. Or maybe you turn away. I don't know what your response would be. God is our compass. And then finally, looking to the Net Testament, it points us, all the Psalms I would suggest, point us to God and God's Son, Christ. Because where is our hope finally? Our hope, if we believe, if we believe that God has done something substantial in Jesus so that we have life, then that, that changes things. Changes your path forward. It changes my path forward. If I believe that I am connected to God, which I do, and I believe my journey will be with God, I do. Well, for me anyway, that changes how I see things. So I pray that we might appreciate right, what we have in Jesus and look to him, trust in him. Paul ends it this way, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, writing in a culture where there were temples to every different God going around, all kinds of faiths, all kinds of religions going on, Paul cuts through it and says, ultimately, my hope is in Jesus. That is an amazing reality for him. 
Jesus just lived 20 years before Paul. Jesus died on a cross, crucified by the Romans. But yet Paul's able to see something significant going on. My victory is in Christ. So the psalm ends, I would suggest, with at least that resonance to it. I mean, if you really go back to the psalm, where does the psalmist go? Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. He still hasn't worked his way all through this. My hope is in you, but right now I'm tired of even you look at me. Turn away and maybe I'll even get a smile. That's pretty real. That's pretty real. So he's still working it through. And we might be working it through still, but we're looking, I'm hoping we're looking to God, looking to Christ, seeing that death is swallowed up. If we can have that, that's a beautiful thing. A winter psalm. In Christ's name, amen.